Even though they both get you from point A to point B, a Mercedes is like twice as expensive as a Toyota. If you're looking for a good red wine to pair with your steak, you might wander over to the aisles showcasing all the California cabs, and you will find that Screaming Eagle, if you're lucky enough to even put your hands on a bottle, is like 10 times as expensive as Opus One. And the price tag for a brand new Hermes Birkin bag starts at a cool $35,000. Okay, so why? On this week's episode, we're going to talk all about luxury versus commodity. Yes, it's about price and value, but there's another important component to this that's worth discussing. And no, you don't have to serve a high-end product to high-end clientele for high-ticket prices to be able to apply some of the lessons we're going to talk about today to your own business. Curious? Stick around. There's an old saying goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly podcast dedicated entirely to the restaurant industry. Each week, we toggle back and forth between a monologue-style format like today and an interview, but the goal is always the same, to take complicated marketing concepts and make them both understandable and actionable. Why? Because like I always say, information is only valuable as the action it inspires. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Ovation, the actionable guest feedback platform that actually drives revenue. These days, so many restaurants are using third-party delivery platforms to drive revenue, but once the food goes out the door, it's often impossible to maintain a connection to the guest. So restaurants all over the country are turning to Ovation to solve that problem. Recently voted the number one guest feedback platform in a nationwide restaurant owner survey, Ovation uses an SMS-based survey, so we're talking about a text message, and they use it as a digital touchpoint that's redefining guest feedback. If the experience is great, your guests are prompted to leave an online review and are then automatically invited back or urged to convert over to first-party ordering. If it wasn't great, you're immediately notified so you and your team can resolve issues in real time. Get more feedback, more reviews, and more revenue with Ovation. Visit ovationup.com slash chip to get 2,000 free text messages. And don't worry, that link is in the show notes. A friendly reminder that Restaurant Strategy is now on Patreon. There are four different tiers of membership. And to all of you who have already supported the show, thank you so much. If anyone else out there wants to join the community, please come visit patreon.com slash restaurant strategy. That link is also in the show notes. Now, the Birkenbag is the most famous purse in the world. It's also the most expensive. Pricing for this bag starts at about $35,000, and depending on the style and size, they can go for hundreds of thousands of dollars. So why do they fetch such a price? The answer you may be surprised to learn has to do with the handbag's story. 
Now, back in June of 2019, Business Insider ran a story about this famed purse. I'm going to include that link in the show notes as well because I think it's it's a fun read if you're curious about this sort of stuff. Uh, but that article asked the exact same question, and they uncovered a bunch of different answers. And you may be wondering, of course, what purses have to do with restaurants, but please, it will make sense. Just go with me for a moment. I will remind you of the conversation we had back on episode number 69 about how marketers use stories to sell. And on that episode, I laid out five different ways that I think uh, that we use uh, stories to sell. Number one, stories that communicate a brand's vision, their mission, their why. Number two, stories that spark conversation. Number three, stories that validate price. Number four, stories that bring deeper appreciation for the product or the brand. And then finally, stories as mythology, right? So these are often the origin stories. And the story of the Birkin bag, you know, what it is, why it was created, when it grew in popularity, and yes, why it fetches such a high price is a perfect example of all of these. And let me explain. So Hermes is one of the most iconic luxury brands on the planet, right up there with Louis Vuitton and Mercedes-Benz and Krug Champagne. The company was founded back in Paris in like 1837 and has grown in popularity over the past nearly 200 years. But the famed Birkin bag is less than 40 years old. It was uh, founded in 1984. So how did it achieve such iconic status in a relatively short time? Let's start by first looking at their origin story, a bit of mythology as it were. As the story goes, Jane Birkin was seated on As the story goes, actress Jane Birkin was seated on a flight from Paris to London next to Jean-Louis Dumas, then the chief executive of the fashion brand. And he watched the actress struggle to get her bag into the overhead compartment without everything spilling out. So he introduced himself and the two struck up a conversation. And by the time the plane landed, Dumas had a rough sketch of what would become the Birkin bag. Less than a year later, he hand-delivered her the very first one. It was a a stylish weekend bag that was both elegant and functional. It closed securely, had uh, all kinds of various compartments to separate a wallet and keys and makeup and so on. And a big part of the Birkin bag's mystique is wrapped up in this origin story. Again, stories as a bit of mythology. Now, the more you learn about the bag, the more you discover about the company, right? The story of the Birkin bag tells you more about the company's mission and thus gives you a deeper appreciation for what it is they do. For example, did you know that a craftsman can train for up to 10 years before they're ever allowed to touch the Birkin bag? Each one, each individual bag is handmade. It literally never sees a machine. And so quality and care is paramount. Every cut of the leather, every every single stitch that goes into that leather is all done by a human being. And maybe that wasn't such a big deal a hundred years ago, but now I think we can all agree and, and appreciate how rare that is. Often, a single worker will put a bag together from start to finish. It can take up to 30 hours to complete a single bag. Put another way, a single worker can only produce about five bags a month. So scarcity then comes into play, coupled with the care taken during the process, right? It's a key part of the story that helps validate price, certainly, right? So why is it so expensive? Because there aren't that many in the world, only about five a month per person, and and it takes such focus to produce just one of them. 
Now, I had the great fortune of traveling to Paris just before the pandemic. It seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, But when we were there, we went to the original Hermes store and I wanted to buy my wife a scarf while we were there, which is, uh, of course, what the company is is famous for these days. Uh, But we couldn't help but wonder about the bags. So get this. The original store right on the Rue de Faubourg Saint-Honoré doesn't take appointments. They may or may not have bags to sell each day and you only find out when the doors open. And and get this, you don't get to choose size or color or leather. They just bring out what they have that day and ask you if you want to buy it. Because they don't take appointments, people line up early in the morning, literally millionaires and billionaires waiting online like they're trying to purchase concert tickets. The doors open and and an attendant comes out um, and, and assigns appointments over the course of the day. So you're given a time to come back to return to the store. Obviously, early appointments have more choices. Later appointments, you may just be out of luck by them. It's their way of trying to bring some order to the chaos, certainly. But it's also something that people talk about. It's it's part of the experience of buying a Birkin bag uh, from the mothership in Paris. Even now, as you're hearing it, it sounds crazy, right? Can you imagine waiting online for two hours just to get an appointment for the privilege of spending forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars and up on a handbag? But that's exactly what happens every single day at the original Hermes store. The best brands out there know how to tell great stories. The best brands out there know how to make products and market products that people will talk about or photograph or show off at the first chance they get. Certainly the Birkin bag is one of those. So for argument's sake, let's bifurcate this subject, right? And say that all products fall into one of these two categories, luxury goods and commodity goods. And it doesn't matter what we're talking about, cars, handbags, sneakers, whiskey, pizza, there is a commodity market and a luxury market. Now with commodity products, it is a race to the bottom. While with luxury goods, it's largely a matter of how much we can get away with charging. Now, okay, let's stop for a second and think about the Birkin bag one more time. How does the company begin to come up with a price for this product? Now, just like we do, right? They deal with the cost of goods sold and and labor and fixed overhead. And and yes, their craftsmen are probably very well paid and they use the best leather they can get their hands on. So I'm sure their costs are high, but certainly not astronomical, right? Right. I'm guessing they make really great margins when they're selling a bag for, let's say, forty dollars or $50,000. They charge not what they have to, they charge what the market will bear. Their production process creates scarcity. Okay, so demand is high and supply is low, and that certainly factors into this, but they charge what they can get away with. Their brand is well-defined and their products are unique. Yes. They have competitors. There are other luxury brands out there like Chanel and Gucci and Louis Vuitton, but they hold a very strong position in the luxury market. Hermes is unique. It is differentiated from all of those other brands. So what can we learn from them? Yes, you may be just running a sandwich shop or a tavern or a juice bar, but I want to challenge you to shift from a commodity mindset to a luxury mindset. And I'm going to explain exactly how we do that after a word from another one of our sponsors. Now, all of us are well aware that there is no better marketing than word of mouth, right? Like a a recommendation from a friend or a family member. 
The restaurant funnel sales system is built with that principle in mind. It's guaranteed to deliver new guests to your restaurant. They accelerate that traditional word of mouth process utilizing paid and organic channels. Restaurant Funnel will help you generate leads. They will help you turn those leads into contacts and then convert those contacts into actual guests that will rave about their experience. Through engaging, personalized, and measurable communications, those guests are slowly and consistently nurtured into superfans. To get started, they offer a free marketing report card for your business. It's a great thing to take advantage of. Visit restaurantfunnel.com slash chip to go learn more. As always, that link is also in the show notes. So I've shown how Hermes uses that, that story selling framework, right? Those five different kinds of stories we use, uh, how they use that to market and sell their famed Birkin bag. But now let's turn our attention really to what we do, uh, to the restaurant industry, to hospitality. Let's again take a beat. Let's get a bird's eye view of your business. How do you determine your market? Meaning who you are and who you're for. How do you, how do you figure out your competition? And then how do you create separation to stand out so people know why you're different or, or in what ways you're different from those other competitors? Now, I often use this example, but it still holds. Here in my neighborhood in Brooklyn, we've got dozens of pizza places. And if you scroll through their menu pages, right, you'll notice that they're all pretty similar. A plain cheese pie is usually somewhere between, let's say, $16 and $19. And they've got the same kinds of toppings available and, and similar sides like fries and onion rings. And they usually all have uh, some salads. They are all the same. It really doesn't matter where I order from, I'm going to get a very similar product. This is the definition of a commodity product. Okay, so let's pause for a second and make sure we really understand what we mean when we say commodity. Commodity refers to a basic good. Often you'll hear people talk about a raw material, for example, that will get used to make something else, right? So milk is a commodity, eggs, flour, sugar, right? For the most part, we can't tell the difference between two brands of whole milk or AP flour. And, and there are plenty of times when it just doesn't matter. When, when all things are equal, people will make a decision based on what? Either convenience or price. And those two things are death to any business. This is an important point to understand because as a business owner, your job is to also be a marketer. And part of a marketer's job is to understand who your product is for or who it could be for and then find ways to attract them to the product. So a commodity product is usually a race to the bottom. I'm making holiday cookies, let's say, with my son and we're out of flour, so we need to go buy flour. So I'm in the supermarket and there are, let's say, six or seven different options available for AP flour. And truth be told, in that moment, I don't really care because to me, they're all the same. So what do I do? I pick the one I know, I pick the one that's easy to grab, or I pick the cheapest one. Now apply that lesson to the restaurant industry and see where it takes you. See, the problem is this. A commodity business is about volume. So I make, let's say, a small margin, very tiny margin on flour. So I've got to put a system in place, a very efficient system that allows me to produce a lot of it for a very specific price. And then I need to be able to sell that flour for a specific price. If I sell enough of it, I can create a profitable business. But for most of us, 
That is not a recipe for success. And yes, pun intended. So instead of creating a product that's just like everything else, I want you to think about creating something that no one else has, like the Birkin bag. No one else in the world has the Birkin bag. You've got to go to Hermes to buy one. Now, if this is the only place in town where I can get a given product, right, like a bag, like a pizza, like a like a car, and if that product fills a specific need, then I, the consumer, will go out of my way to go get that product. And, and I will probably pay extra for that product. So to use my pizza place example once more, my neighborhood, uh, again, has all these nameless, faceless, uh, very ambiguous, uh, anonymous, homogenized pizza place. But my neighborhood is also home to Defara Pizza, which has become sort of famous if you're a, if you're a big pizza fan. It's been around for more than 60 years. The same guy has been at the helm. And guess what? They charge $30 for a regular cheese pizza. That's nearly twice what all of the other places in my neighborhood charge. Why? Now, it's it's not because the raw materials are that much more expensive than all the other places, right? They, they use flour, and that's a commodity product. They use cheese, that's a commodity product. The sauce, even if they make the sauce in-house, it doesn't cost them that much more. So it's not the raw materials that are making it more expensive or, or that much more expensive. And it's certainly not because their rent is that much more, because trust me, this is not a fancy spot. No, they charge what the market will bear. They've created a product that's different from all the other pizza joints in the area, right? Okay, so it's got a thin crust and they put fresh basil on the pies. They use the real pepperoni cups that, you know, that curl up when, uh, when it goes in the oven. You can, you can just tell that it's a cut above and people come from far and wide to try this pizza. So at Defara, they charge what they can get away with. I want you to create a product and build a story for that product that will allow you to treat that product as a luxury good. The best companies in the world do that. The best products in the world do that. And your restaurant deserves the same. And now let me be clear. Remember, I'm not telling you to go and turn your place into a high-end joint. These ideas, though, can be applied to any sort of business anywhere in the world. Stop treating your product as a commodity. That's what I want you to take away here. Make something exceptional. Get people talking about it, excited about it, and then charge what you can for it. Now, Seth Godin, of course, one of my favorites, he often makes this challenge. And so I'm going to challenge uh, uh, challenge all of you to do the same. He says, what would you do if I told you that you had to charge twice as much for your product? How would that change the way you serve that product and, and talk about that product and promote that product? Don't just charge what you think you have to charge. Charge what you think you can get. But of course, people won't pay more for commodity goods. All things being equal, remember, two sacks of AP flour, two nearly identical pizza place, people are going to pick the one that's closest to them or the one that has the cheapest prices. So what would make your customers cross the street to come to you? Or pay more for your sandwiches than for the sandwiches at the place down the street? What would make them pick you over a competitor again and again and again? You have to supply those answers. That's the best way to build a business that lasts, to build a business that's profitable and rewarding and get this, beloved. 
See, that's the strange thing about this luxury conversation, right? So Disney World down in Orlando is like twice as expensive as Busch Gardens just about an hour away in Tampa. They're both amusement parks, and yet Disney World welcomes five times as many visitors each and every year. Why? Because Disney is a beloved brand. The experience of taking your family to Disney is a luxury that people will line up to pay for. Just like the handbags in Paris, people will pay a premium for the chance to take their kids to Disney. You want people to do the same with you. Get out of the commodity mindset. It's a race to the bottom. And again, pun intended, it is a recipe for disaster. Instead, I want you to create a luxury product. Get into that luxury mindset. Sometime today, I want you to spend 20 minutes thinking about this and I want you to brainstorm something. On a piece of paper, I want you to write down five things you have that no one else has. Some cool dish, some signature, some drink, some interesting design feature or a service touch. What makes you unique and how can you lean into that and turn up the volume on those things? How can you charge more? First, identify them. Then after that, I want you to think about how you can put them front and center, right? Again, if you've got a signature sandwich that won some big Yelp award, I want you to put it in a box on your menu and I want you to charge an extra $2 for it. And trust me, your guests will thank you. If you're better than all the other pizza places in the area, then prove it. Show your customers why. Tell them why again and again and again. And then charge them for the privilege of having your pizza. Again, they will thank you for it. Too often I see chefs and operators playing small. They're afraid to stick their neck out to, to put their money where their mouth is. I say enough of that. You are unique and you provide value to the customers you serve, but you have to show them that you're not just a commodity. This is worth crossing the street for. This is worth talking about. This is worth paying a little bit extra for. I hope this episode resonates with some of you out there because you deserve more. Now listen, before I let you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. I'm putting the finishing touches on my planning for an online course. It's a 60-day turnaround course geared towards chefs and operators. It deals with both operations and marketing, but I need to hear from you first. I've got a link in the show notes for a quick five-question survey, and I'd really appreciate if you took just a couple of minutes to answer it for me. It will really help me as I continue to shape the course and put it all together. Now, as always, I appreciate you all being here. I love this community we're building, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Until then, have a good one. Restaurant Strategy is made possible by the generous support of our sponsors as well as our Patreon supporters. A special shout out to all of our Gold and Platinum members, Ty Hames, Bob and Kate Carpenter, Scott Middleton, Chuck and Denise Close, Stephen and Ann Fagan, Mario D'Amatos, and Christopher Tana. If you want to become a supporter, please go visit patreon.com slash restaurant strategy. Again, the link is in the show notes.